Hello and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. But before we fully dive in, here is a quick word from my sponsors. This episode is brought to you by my program, Unfuck Your Contracts. It's really more like a bank of contract templates, along with training videos to help you get your client contract up to speed, along with all your other contracts. I have postponement agreements, cancellate a cancellation template, a release agreement, a contractor agreement, and more. So if you need some help with your contract, go sign up. And I'm running a special promotion just for the month of July. The first 10 people to join me in Unfuck Your Contracts this month will get a three-week live program with me where we will have meetings, uh, actually work together on creating your contract and go through the program step-by-step as a group with Q&A. It's going to be awesome. So that's all I have for you. Make sure you go to my website and check it out. Shoot me a DM if you have questions. Now let's get on with the episode. Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is part four of our contract series. That's what I'm going to start calling them. I'm going to call it part four of our five-part contract series. So we started a few weeks ago with my interview with the night. Go check it out if you missed it. It was super, super fun. And then the past two weeks, we talked about what I think are the most essential elements of your contract, payment terms and scope of services. So what are you providing? How much is the person receiving? What it is that you're providing going to pay you, right? That's the basics. Then we have all sorts of other legalese that we need to cover, which I'm not going to get into the weeds on in this contract series. It's, it's like really, really boring to talk about a limitation of liability provision on a podcast. Super, super important, but really, really boring. So for now, I'm going to spare you. I might try to force you to listen to that at some point in the future. So don't hold it against me if I do that. But meanwhile, on this episode, we're going to talk about what happens if someone wants to sue you or what happens if you have a huge client blow up. It happens to everyone, I think. If you've been in business for more than three years and you've never had a client, like a serious client issue, consider yourself to be very blessed. But for the most of us, doesn't really matter what we do. Doesn't matter how excellent we are. We're still going to have that one client that we just don't really jive with. Occasionally, we are going to really fuck up ourselves. Um, but sometimes we have clients that are also just wholly unreasonable. Both of those things can happen. If you do make a mess up, the best thing is to typically just own it and do what you can to remedy the situation. So I have a few tips. But before that, I want to share a few stories. So I used to think that going into an actual lawsuit would be so far, like it'd be so remote that we almost didn't have to worry about it. And I know that might be weird for you to hear from an attorney, right? Because, you know, attorneys tend to like prepare for the worst. That's kind of what our job is. That's what we've been trained to do. But I think why I had this, why I had this belief is because all the lawsuits I've been a part of uh, as an, as an attorney, I mean, Really, I never really did litigation, but in law school, I would go sit in on lawsuits and obviously study them. And then I handled like a couple pretty early on, but they were always for like pretty serious stuff, 
not that our contracts aren't serious, not that what you're doing isn't serious, but I'm talking like medical malpractice cases. When I was an intern, I worked in plaintiff's medical malpractice as an intern, and then I worked in medical malpractice defense. So we were talking like multi-million dollar lawsuits for stuff that went, you know, seriously wrong in a hospital setting. And all the parties have insurance and they all have millions of dollars. Like the plaintiffs usually don't, they're the ones suing for money, but the defendants usually have insurance policies that cover them into the millions of dollars. So it's not like they're going to lose their livelihood over this lawsuit, but it's still very stressful, right? That's the idea of lawsuits that I had. And I thought uh, in law school, I was a mediator in small claims court. And I figured this is what's going to be more representative when I go into this field, right? Most of the people that I work for are providing services um, that are $2,000, $3,000, $4,000, maybe all the way up until like ten or $20,000, right? I've helped with contracts that are like a couple hundred thousand, but that's about the peak. Most of them are between $1,000 and $10,000. And these are cases that will most often go to small claims court. So I thought I'd give you a few examples back on, we'll have to put this episode in the show notes, but it was, how to have been at least 50 episodes ago. I did an interview with my friend, Kevin, who uh, is a DJ and he runs like an audio, like audio and lighting company. They do all sorts of stuff up in the Bay area. And he had a client dispute that was over really just a few hundred dollars due to an event cancellation that was canceled because of COVID. They couldn't have the event anymore. And this was a really interesting episode because what was kind of I don't want to say bizarre, but interesting to me was that it wasn't like this huge client blow up, like him and the client didn't get into like a fight, they didn't get into an argument, the client's just like we want all of our money back and, you know, he said, per the contract, the deposits non refundable and they were like okay well we're going to go to small claims court about it and have like a very adult, <laughs> a very adult discussion about whether we're going to get this money back and that's what they did. They went to small claims court, ended up mediating it. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head what the result of that was. I'm going to kind of leave you hanging there, maybe a little bit on purpose, but also I genuinely don't remember, but I'll encourage you to go back and listen to the episode if you want to learn more. I also remembered last year, a very similar situation. There was a San Diego wedding planner who went on Judge Judy for a similar situation. And what happened was I believe the client sued the wedding planner for a refund because their event had to be canceled or postponed. And the wedding planner said, no, this refund, this retainer was non-refundable. Also, I've already like substantially performed under the contract. So her contract stated essentially that she would only give refunds for amounts that were unearned. And what I thought was really interesting in that case was Judge Judy didn't look at like, how much money have you earned? Like, we're going to look at how many hours you've worked and determine what percentage you need to refund. It was just, no, the client paid this amount of money. Did you do any work? And Judge Judy determined, yeah, you did work. You have documentation. You sent the client emails. You did all this kind of stuff. So that was a really interesting example as well. Another one of the takeaways from that was that this uh, planner provided um, day of coordination services. And my friend Renee talks about this all the time. Renee Dallo, if you don't already follow her, go listen to her podcast. But Renee actually has a course and a program that she runs on wedding management. And she talks a lot about why day, day of coordination is just a terrible name. And I agree with her because this client on Judge Judy, her whole argument was based around the fact that I hired you to coordinate my wedding on the day of. In fact, your service is called day of coordination. 
the day never happened. So therefore you shouldn't get paid. And we all know in reality, even if you're not a wedding planner, even if you're not in the wedding industry, you can imagine as a business owner that a lot of work, probably the majority of the work happens before that wedding day even happens. So let's not call it day of coordination anymore. So that was a good takeaway from that case. And then I had a more recent client. I'm not going to give any details here because there's more like confidentiality around this, but I uh, spoke to a wedding photographer who had a very similar situation and they actually had to go to superior court. So superior court is not small claims court. And this client was suing them for like $20,000. In my opinion, it was like basically all bullshit, but they had to defend their contract. They didn't end up going to court. It did get settled, but I give these examples. I don't, I don't want to like totally terrify you, but I give these examples to show you that these are all, all three of these were small businesses. All three of them were contracts, I think under $5,000 and all three of them ended up getting in legitimate legal disputes. So once this happens, or if it looks like you're headed down this path with the client, the first thing you need to consider is what your contract says. So contracts generally are going to state what you can and can't be liable for, but you still must defend it, right? Contracts can't just blanket let you escape from any and all liability. Like we have laws in place that state what you can and can't waive liability for. And those contract templates are drafted in a way that are like okay with those laws, right? For example, in a limitation of liability provision, you generally cannot, you cannot exempt yourself from any kind of willful conduct, right? So that's willful means like purposeful, or sometimes it can also mean like extremely negligent conduct. So if you do something that's like so stupid, like so stupid that any other reasonable person would know that that could result in a bunch of other people being injured, like I don't know if you're a photographer and you pose like a whole wedding party, like next to a cliff or like you go tell them to stand in like a river for a photo and the current's like really, really strong, just like really dumb, like really, really dumb stuff that, you know, could lead to injury. Like you probably can't exempt yourself from that. Right. But other stuff that's just like a little bit negligent, you can typically kind of exempt yourself from liability for that kind of thing. All right. Or and especially anything that's, that's not your own fault. So if it's like the groom go, goes and does something stupid and gets injured, you could probably waive your liability in that circumstance with proper contract provisions. So keep this in mind, your contract can do a lot, but it can't do, it can't do everything. Uh, generally, uh, you can also specify in your contract what happens if you have a legal dispute. So where must the parties file suit? Are you going to have an arbitration provision? Are you going to have a mediation provision or Maybe you have a provision that says that the parties may only resolve their dispute in small claims court. There's a lot of options here as well. In some states, you may not be allowed to do that, but this is one of those circumstances where that this is probably going to be bizarre hearing this from an attorney, but my recommendation is always just be very strict with these provisions because your worst case scenario is if you have like a really strong provision that says you can only sue me in small claims court in the County of Los Angeles, and then a judge ends up to saying, well, you know, this isn't like this provision is not really okay for X, Y, and Z reason. You're not really going to lose anything, right? <laughs> right. They're just going to end up being able to sue you somewhere else. So it doesn't, it's a, it's, you put the provision in there to help you, but your worst case scenario is, is that it just doesn't help you. And it's the same as if you didn't have it there. So also something to consider. So 
Venue provisions can also be very helpful as well. So a venue provision is where you say, like I just mentioned, where someone can sue you. So this is super helpful if you do a lot of traveling, especially if you're a destination uh, service provider. So if you're working with a client in New York and you live in California and you say lawsuits may only brought with, be brought within the county of Los Angeles, then you're not going to have to travel for the lawsuit, which can be very helpful. The next thing, so those were just some contract considerations. Once you get to the pract like practicalities here, I want you to think about anytime you have a client that's really mad at you, I want you to consider why is my client angry? Why are they pissed off? Are they actually mad at me? Or are they just angry in general and I am their outlet? So I know like wedding planners get that a lot or any service where you're kind of a, kind of like the point person for a general scope, like for a general project, like you might be the outlet. But then also ask yourself, does this person seem litigious? Is this the type of person who's actually gonna sue me? Or are they just venting? Like they need to get their frustration off their chest, which is the case here. Try to, anytime you have a situation like this, you need to try to resolve the situation amicably if possible, and always stay away from legalese for as long as possible. If it looks like you're not gonna move forward, like amicably consider standing, extending an olive branch. So maybe give them like a little bit of a refund, not a full refund, but a little bit of refund. Remember, it's always a negotiation when you have these kind of disputes. So you want to know what you're entitled to. Even if you're not sure, stick to your contract and then consider that your bargaining, bargaining point. This is a fun note I always like to give my students. I tell them, a car dealership never puts their minimum acceptable offer on the car. So if you have a client that's mad at you and you're like a very non-conflict person, don't just say, oh my God, I'll give you all of your money back. Just please, please don't send me any more angry emails because they make me want to cry. Like you could do that. I don't recommend it though, because generally there's a way that you can negotiate with them without having to give away like all of your money and all of your rights. Be careful as well with your words. So this is a, a big point I like to hammer home. You want to never make any like bold legal claims for multiple reasons, because A, you're not an attorney and you probably, you don't know for a fact whether you're legally in the right. And B, anytime you make legal claims or use legalese, like fancy legal words, it signals to the other person that either you're blowing smoke and they need to get professional help or that you have professional help and then they, that they need to get professional help, right? So you, you don't want to send any signals that say, I'm taking a really bold legal stance or I have a legal person that's advised me on this because then they might want to go get legal assistance as well. And now you're effectively communicating with another, with an attorney. And that's not, you don't, you don't want to get there. So rather than saying things like you are legally obligated to X, like you're legally obligated to pay me this money, try something that says like our contract is clear that this. So our contract makes it clear that you still owe me this money, right? So you're not saying that they're legally obligated to pay you the money. You're just saying what your contract states. There's a difference. Example. So here's an example. I understand your frustrations but our contract clearly specifies a rescheduling fee of $2,000. See paragraph 14. However, as a courtesy, I'd be willing, I would be willing to waive the fee should we be able to rebook for a non-Saturday date available on my calendar between now and the end of the year. So in this example, I try to use an example where you're being firm, 
but you're not making any legal claims. You're just stating what's in your paragraph, in your contract, sorry. And you're also extending them an olive branch. So you're saying normally I would charge you this, but I'll waive that if we can resolve this amicably and pick a new date. This is why in your contract, I always like to look for areas where you could extend an olive branch. So basically this is your, this is your used car or your car dealership moment, right? You're going to say that the price is this much, but in the back of your mind, you're always going to say, but I'd be willing to go down. Like if we ever had this dispute. So think about that when you're looking at rescheduling policies, when you're looking at late payment policies, anything uh, that could potentially be relevant if you have a client dispute. So leave some room for negotiation there. Of course, ideally, we never want to be negotiating when negotiating with our clients. This is kind of just your backup plan. And then if you ever get to the point where you are going to give a refund, consider that hopefully, other than an actual lawsuit, this is your worst case scenario. But if you do give, or give a refund, have them sign a mutual cancellation and release agreement template. So this is a template that basically says why you're giving the refund. If you're canceling the contract, most likely you are, and that both parties agree not to sue each other. Okay. Once you come to a resolution, if you have a dispute with your client and you come to a resolution, the first thing you have to do is put that shit in writing. It's very important. So either this goes in an addendum. An addendum is good if you, an addendum is really good for like a hiccup. So you have like a hiccup and you need to resolve that in writing and then continue on with the services. A postponement agreement, obviously, if you're postponing services, um, postponement agreements are typically for event-based contracts because you're going to postpone the event. But also maybe, like, I don't know that I've ever seen this, but it could happen. Like if you're someone like Denight, who I had on the podcast, and you're doing a really large scope of work and this client, you know, has a family emergency where they really have like a couple of really slow months where they've not had very much revenue. And they're like, look, I can't really afford to pay you right now. Can we postpone the remainder of the services? Then maybe you look at putting them on a four month hold and resuming later. Like that's an area where you could use a postponement agreement. The other option would be a cancellation agreement. So you're just gonna cancel the services altogether. And in this type of contract, you wanna specify what services have been completed, which services won't be completed. It's very important. And that both parties agree to move on and also consider whether the other people, like the other person needs to pay you anymore or whether you're gonna give any refunds. That should all be in a cancellation agreement. And then also, again, Try to stay away from legalese as much as possible. If you have a template, which I have templates for all of these things. If you have a template, you want to be very careful with the kind of language that you are, that you are replacing. All right. So a few considerations, a few considerations before you, for you, if again, you have a client issue. I hope this was helpful. If you ever do have client problems, I want to let you know that Braden's Besties, our Facebook group is a good place to come and get some help with that. Obviously consider confidentiality and when that's important. Also consider if this is a business to business contract, the online world is very small. And if you have a client dispute with another business owner, there's a good chance that they are going to see that on the internet. Someone might send it to them. So you know, be wise in these kind of circumstances. But if you have a client that's refusing to pay, if you have a difficult client, feel free to share it in the group and we can talk about it, maybe give you some suggestions. And again, if you need help with your contract, if you want to spruce it up to make sure that you are protected in the event that you have any kind of client issue, 
come on over and get some help. We are running a, I always say we, I, I am running a special round of Unfuck Your Contracts, my program that helps you get all of your contracts together. We're starting that the first week of August. Um, there are only 10 slots available. So if you're curious, if there are any spots open, shoot me a message or check out my emails if you're on my email list. And then also I'm doing a few one-on-one -on -one contracts as well. So if you need any one-on-one -on -one help with your contract, I'm doing five custom contracts in the month of July. So I can also let you know if there are any spots open for that still. Uh, either way, we're going to have one more contract episode with lots of tips. Make sure you go listen to the previous ones and they're all going to be super helpful to get your contract up to speed. Thanks for tuning in and I'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.